0: Hi, everybody. I am Art Stevens, and I am managing partner of the Stevens Group. And I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of PR Masters. I call it a special edition because we're welcoming back one of our PR masters who had joined us before in an earlier edition. And the reason is this we are all living under the evil spell of COVID 19, an affliction that few could have foreseen an affliction that is changing our lives and the way we conduct ourselves as human beings. And hitting closer to home, the virus has changed the way we do business, particularly the public relations business. Our industry has been severely affected by this virus, and we are struggling to cope with it and adjust to the new normal, whatever the new normal is. So what better person to bring back than someone who is considered the guru of healthcare public relations? And he is and i welcome him gil bash who is managing partner of Finn partners global health practice now gil has presided over many healthcare crises he's presided over new drug marketing and a discussion of many health hazards affecting the general public but coronavirus has to be the end all in pulling out all the stops to maintain public confidence and avert mass panic and hysteria gil bash as you remember from our earlier edition Is of course the managing partner of Finn Partners Global Health Practice, and he has been a champion for health innovation to sustain life and improve patient care, which ties in very nicely with our subject today. He's been tapped by PharmaVoice as one of the 100 most inspiring people in healthcare, and he's included in the fast company 50 People to Watch in the New World of Work. And he's chosen as a top 10 innovator by Catalyst and by PR Week and by many other public relations media. He has been involved with like more than 40 product launch campaigns for global medtech and biopharma blockbusters in cancer, diabetes, heart, respiratory, women's health and non-communicable and orphan disease therapies. He is a leader and he's the reason why we are having this special edition today. So Gil, I would truly like to welcome you back for your second time around
1: on PR Masters. Art, it's a privilege. I think that in uh, TV world, of course, those who are invited back to Saturday Night Live multiple times you know, sort of take that round of applause. So being invited back by Art Stevens is a privilege, and I'm eager to speak to you and our listeners today.
0: Well, I hope that you'll come back many times in the future.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for that. And, I I'll, it. and
0: I'll also try to get you on Saturday Night Live. How about that?
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> but then, by the way, then, of course, in the history of um, Loves and Stevens, you would have really, have, uh, I think, reached the pinnacle. But but I think today well, it's, it's it's important that we talk about the topics that you and your team have laid out. Obviously, you know, we, we talk often about going through uncharted waters. And the words we hear again and again in this conversation are uncertain times um, unprecedented. You know, if we hear those words anymore, of course, I think we'll, we'll start to say enough already. We've heard them 50 times each. But the reality is when we say those words, it's because we're dealing with an experience that we as part of a broader society have never, ever seen before. What is it when societies move from one sort of operation to another sort of operation and when information changes, not just from you know, week to week or month to month, sometimes the information that we're being given by authoritative voices is changing from hour to hour. How do we as communications professionals actually guide communities, customers, and our businesses when we're actually living at a time of I don't know?
0: Well, very valid points, and, and obviously our focus today, uh, as indicated, is on the coronavirus and uh, your uh, deep experience in the world of healthcare public relations and, in, in effect, how you see the world and how you how you feel is going to change and what we need to do. That's kind of the overall theme for today. And my first question, Gil, uh, as an acknowledged leader in the world of healthcare public relations, what are your overall views on how the pandemic will affect the practice of public relations.
1: Well, our, the, the historically, historically, I mean, you, you touched a lot on the on the biopharmaceutical industry. Historically, people in our industry, and, and actually the the clients we serve, they they grouped in sectors, sectors within this broader health ecosystem. They were involved in hospital systems. They were involved with payer systems. They're involved with government systems. They're involved, as you mentioned, with product innovators biotech products, biopharmaceutical products, and so forth. And they were working in the patient communities or professional communities. And these communities bumped into each other at times. But, but what we've seen through COVID-19 is our health system in this nation, most certainly, is incredibly fragmented. And to get it to work as communicators, as healthcare, um, healthcare public relations practitioners, people are realizing at this critical moment, that unless we can help our clients successfully navigate that fragmented system, very little is going to happen. I'll give you sort of a case study where Governor Cuomo of New York talks about the fact that the that the state health organization is actually competing competing with forty nine other states with the manufacturers of ventilators to buy ventilators and bidding. And then of course you have FEMA come in, and it's bidding against the states as well to access equipment. That speaks to the fragmentation of our system. So one thing I think is going to change radically, in order to really be in this practice, you're going to have to truly understand how the system works. It's not enough to be a good communicator. You've got to really understand the economics of the system, the policy of the system, and actually how to navigate the system that is not actually one system at all. It's many different communities bumping into each other or conflicting with each other. That's a big change.
0: You know, you, you hobnob, uh, and, uh, you know, and I think that's the right word because of your stature in the healthcare industry, you hobnob a lot of uh,
1: let's call it connected. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: what's in a word? Okay, you are connected uh, to many of the top CEOs and pharma companies and health organizations and health institutions of all types. Um, what do you think these guys are and women? Are feeling today about what what is happening? Are they shaken up by it? Uh, do they do they uh, see a uh, future that uh, is compatible with what their corporate goals are? What do you think they are feeling this very morning?
1: Well, um, I'm going to get to the question, and I'm going to actually add a little bit to it. I've been um, because of my dedication to the health side of this. You know, while I'm very much involved in health public relations, I come from a health background. Know, having been a, a lobbyist, a healthcare lobbyist for the industry, having been a health practitioner uh, initially, still a member of pharmacy tech for the American Pharmacists Association. So, my connections actually allowed me to interact at this time with great physicians, with great policy leaders, and yes, to your point, with leaders of our industry itself, the innovation side of the industry. Um, first of all, they have been always looking at how innovation can improve the human condition. That, that has not changed. What, what changed through the years up until now was that they were actually trying to operate in a relatively hostile environment. And what we're seeing at COVID-19 is something that's, that's hit, that's impacting the reputation of the industry. And I'm not going to deal with, will this repair the, the reputation of the biopharmaceutical industry or not? What society is starting to see, unfortunately, in a in a terrible way, a terrible way, is the cost of disease itself. Now, imagine that, Art. for For the industry, the industry has tried to explain its processes, pricing, its procedures to no avail on the policy side and on the consumer visibility side. In fact, the pharmaceutical industry rates at the bottom, when you look at the rankings of reputation – Actually, it's it's near tobacco companies and oil companies. It, it's tragic and true. And, and maybe there's good reason for that as well. One of the reasons for that is people didn't understand how the industry worked. They didn't understand the model of the industry. Now we're confronted with devastating sickness that doesn't affect a certain place or population or genetic type, per se. Anyone, anyone, we're all in um, we're all on the ocean together. We're not in the same boat, but we're all on the ocean together in different ways. And so now the industry comes in, and it is seeking to develop vaccines. It's seeking to do, you know, look at treatments. Uh, companies, companies like Gilead are saying, look, we're going to give over our supply of the drug, the, our excess supply of the drug to treat patients. Um, society is now seeing the biopharmaceutical industry not as an adversary, but actually as a preserver of society, uh, extending life, sustaining life, that they see as different and they understand clearly this is their moment, Not, not to reboot, not to reboot, but clearly to provide the consumer with a better understanding of how the pharmaceutical industry works and the challenges of innovation. It's not as simple as go into a lab, mix up some molecules, make some tablets or injectables and move it out there. There's efficacy, there's safety, there's efficacy and safety again and again. At each stage of the trial, they have to look at, is there an active molecule? Is it safe? And then once they prove it's safe on a certain population, they have to go and prove it's safe again. And we're accelerating the system here, but generally as many people, including Dr. Fauci, have noted, it generally takes years between the possible thought that this molecular structure might be active in a disease state, to we think it's safe and effective. And now we're condensing that product. So one thing CEOs are thinking about is, do we have something either in our portfolio, our pipeline of, of products, or in our portfolio that we sell that might help in terms of being part of the therapeutic approach? And also, how do we use that to explain we're trying to help, we're not trying to exploit the situation at all? and that is a challenge i think to figure out that fine line between being sort of like recognized for wanting to do something good from not being seen as trying to exploit uh, a a global tragedy and pandemic
0: so gail um the pharmaceutical industry has been uh chastised uh, periodically by uh, by its uh uh, adversaries, if you will, uh, because of the the high price of drugs, um, the power and authority that it seems to have over American health care, um, its effect on health insurance and so on. Do you think that the mood and tempo of pharmaceutical companies, uh, as well as public attitudes toward pharmaceutical companies, will change as a result of this uh,
1: pandemic? Well, you know, I, I think what, what, what's happened is is that society has seen the cost of medications outside the cost of disease. For the first time, the veil on the cost of disease is being lifted. Now, just take a look at, was it now we have something like 30, I think it's something like 28% of Americans are unemployed at this point. What's wow. the cost of that? How about the cost, the, the billions, perhaps trillions in healthcare costs? How about the cost to our American hospital system? They're not treating for cancer patients. They're not treating for cardiology patients. Those are the mainstays that support a hospital system. Community-based hospitals may actually go out of business because of COVID-19. It's unbelievable, but it's true. So what society is seeing is, wait a minute. Historically, we thought drugs cost too much. Maybe disease costs too much, and I want to touch on that, Art, because this is a historic opportunity for our society to put the cost of drugs in perspective, even if we never change the cost of drugs. What we're starting to understand through COVID-19 is that people with these, what we call these, um, these conditions, these underlying disease conditions, and those are heart disease, those are diabetes, it's respiratory disease, and cancer. and and, and, and as a condition also uh, obesity, those people who have those conditions are at heightened risk for COVID-19 impact. In other words, people with heart disease or diabetes, more often than not than other people, end up in the hospital system, which costs a fortune to payers. And now we're starting to understand maybe it's not the cost of drugs that's so high, Maybe it's the underlying cost of noncommunicable diseases. And it's so important for health communicators right now on the industry side, on the agency side, to recognize this is a very critical moment to rally to the fact that the biggest cost to the American healthcare system, to the world healthcare system, in terms of healthcare dollars, isn't drugs, it's actually diseases that we could prevent. We can prevent this by having better diets and exercise. I know you're fit, are you trim? You probably exercise. Wouldn't be surprised if you're playing some tennis or something when you can when you can play with a partner or a foursome. But the reality is, you're you're the exception to the rule in many cases. America has become the heaviest nation of the world. I think China is right there with us. It's called the urban diet, fast food, high caloric intake, carbs that that actually that is the underlying cost to the american healthcare system i just want to say as a as a reference point that when you mention drugs if you take a look at the healthcare dollar drugs are 18% of the total dollar only 18% and that's been flat year to year so part of what you're what you raise as a question is the misconception of society of where is our healthcare dollar is going they're not going to drugs, believe it or not. They're going to disease. They're going to hospital visits, many of which are not necessary because those diseases are diseases that could have been prevented. And just as a case of point art, you know, I'm, I, I you know, I come as you know from a health background into public relations, which is rare. Seventy-one percent of the people of the world die from diseases that could be prevented. I don't know if you and the listeners knew that. 71% from non-communicable diseases. That's a staggering fact, Gil. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, And they contribute, those same diseases contribute the cost of mortality and morbidity of COVID-19. So I think the industry, along with explaining how they're trying to be part of the solution, actually needs to put its foot down and say, hey, you want to reduce the cost of healthcare in the United States and around the world? reinvest in our self-care infrastructure. That is a call to public relations professionals. You, you wanna be on the next edge, cutting edge of health communications because of COVID-19, move away from a sick care mindset, move toward a self-care mindset.
0: Wow, that is really, that is really enlightening. Gil, what do you think we've learned, uh, if anything, about how a crisis should be managed? given the scope and uh, uh, impact of coronavirus and, and the flow of society as a result.
1: Uh, you know, Art, I was uh, privileged. One of the groups that you're, you're close to, PR News, you know, named me one of their crisis communicators of the year a few years back, and it's, that's a privilege to be considered for that by our community. You know, I've long advocated for crisis communicators to know the facts, start with the facts, and then build your plan um, from from there. But we're in a situation right now where, let's be honest with ourselves, we don't know the facts. And the people who are the authoritative voices that we have to listen to, people like Dr. Fauci and others who are really, I think, at the cusp of acquiring information and, and synthesizing it, they would acknowledge today They don't know the facts. They know what they know when they know it. And so where we're seeing uh, this change in terms of our role as communicators is historically we've sought to really dedicate ourselves to knowing the facts and communicating out from that point of truth. Truth remains important, but it's very hard. It's incredibly hard when that truth bar is moving all over the place every day. You can get COVID-19 from hard surfaces. Yesterday, they announced, well, maybe it's not as contagious on hard surfaces as we thought. You can get it from you know, being in contact with people less than six feet. But if you wear a mask, don't worry, because it doesn't stay long in the air. Now we hear it stays in the air up to eight minutes. We've been in this physical distancing period for more than two months now, more than two months. And I would say every week, Every week, the core information around prevention, safety, has changed every week. First, children couldn't get it. Then, as you know, tragically in New York City, 70 children have come down with some strange COVID-19-related complication that has placed them in the hospital. We don't know. And I think that historically, people, when they don't know, intuitively want to be helpful and so what they do is they project. I would say as communicators, one, if you don't know, I don't know isn't a reflection of of naivete or stupidity. It's the genesis of exploration, and I'll find out. And so, one, we have to be upfront and, and really drill down of what we know and what we don't know and actually provide some authoritative footnote to why we're saying that now, why it's a moving target. Historically, also, when we know in a crisis situation, people like a definitive leader. But it's hard to be a definitive leader when the information is changing day to day. And therefore, it's important to give updates and say, what we know now based on is this. I'll update tomorrow. Obviously, our public health authorities are looking at this. How it changes what we do as communicators, though, is we're trying to make plans with employees and explain to them, are are we, are we going to open up our offices or not going to open up our offices? When we're supporting consumer retailers, will malls open up or not open up? All of this is really up in the air right now. So I would just say to people who are on the communication side, this is the new world we're dealing with, the, the world of communicating authoritatively In the I don't know atmosphere of today and it takes people to really think it through because you can lose all credibility by pretending to be in the know when you just know for that moment
0: well that leads me to my next question I guess uh, since most of us have been staying home uh, as required um, self-quarantining or with family and probably watching a lot of television to see what's going on and what we can learn and we see countless healthcare experts physicians and what have you infectious disease uh uh experts mm-hmm talking about uh, what we need to know, uh, what we need to do, and they're very, very definitive about it. Um, why do you feel that, that a lot of these people, whom we look to as authorities, uh, are not ascribing you know, to the uh, philosophy that you're now expressing about more of I don't know and we have to find out as opposed to this is what it is and this is what you need to do?
1: Um, I think that in medical school, um, and, and uh, many of us have come from families surrounded by MDs. Um, it's a very humbling experience to have MD after your name and say, I don't know. And I remember, actually, um, a, a great doctor, I will mention her name, Nisa Goldberg. She's a cardiologist in New York City, and um, I, I referred a patient to her, and the great thing that Nisa said about um, a patient's condition to her was, I don't know what it is but we're going to find out. And, mm-hmm. and that's the mark actually of a true medical leader uh, at this day. That's what I think one of the takeaways from COVID-19 will be the medical leader who says, here's what we don't know. Here's what we need to find out. You don't see a lot of people on television saying that. No, part we don't. Of is, yeah. right, part of it is Art, that TV announcers are trained to keep a dynamic conversation going to keep viewers interested in the conversation. And speculation, hypothesis, is better than here's what we don't know. And that's what we're facing also as, as consumers of information, which is we're trapped in the spin, the spin of I need to keep you interested in our dialogue right now. And in a public health crisis, and please make no mistake about it, we're in a public health crisis mode still. Even though you've settled into your know, your you know being at home and and being away from people who who may or may not carry um, antibodies, we're actually in our individual abodes, watching television, looking at our Twitter feeds, and that's how we're educating ourselves. So the challenge right now is to listen to authoritative voices who are actually qualifying because no one's going to say, "I don't know, it's not interesting." And you're not going to have that guest back or well, that guest who wants to be back isn't going to be invited back with I don't knows, which is honest, but not interesting. So I would say I actually look at these days aggregators of news more than sometimes the people who are just the justly authoritative voices. Certainly listen closely to Dr. Fauci, who is a tireless public service servant on public health but I also listen to a few aggregators of information and aggregators are people who are kind of like watching the dots. They're connecting the dots of what's going on. Those people include John White, Dr. John White mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. WebMD. I would also listen to Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner. I would listen in Europe to Janed Bawa, um, who's been working with the national health services, there, NHS. Um, I would listen to someone like Amir Kalali, who is the founder of CNS Summit. It's a community of life science innovators. So along with looking at those authoritative government public health voices, I look at another level level of people who I call the aggregators of information. They're almost like stock analysts in a way who are giving out verbal reports every day of what's going on and synthesizing. Those are kind of my go-to people so
0: how do you feel that some of the both of from the united states and 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 the world uh healthcare organizations how do you think they have distinguished themselves during this crisis so starting with the fda and the uh um cdc and uh who i know our president has taken issue with some of the things that who uh has done yes. uh, do you have any opinions on that that you'd like to share how do you feel that these organizations are they are they going to come out okay in the long run or are they going to be tarnished in some way
1: well you know you've you've asked and for the for the sake of our, uh, of, our of our listeners today I, I, I owe you and them an answer um science science at the purest level has no passport. It it, it has no nationality. The science is essentially transcends the world. And I think that people who dedicate themselves truly to the field of science are without passport. People who dedicate themselves to public health are passionate about the public health. They don't see race, creed, religion, gender, or physical ability. They're dedicated to sustaining humanity at the highest levels. Of course the filter of biases goes in there. But I think at this point, um, you know, obviously at the higher levels, we, we need to, you know, put our, our finger pointing weapon back in its holster and you know allow the scientists to work together and not create obstacles or use a management style that makes people feel threatened to get the job done. That's what I've learned as a leader of organizations. And I I certainly come from an organization where the leader does not do that. And therefore, now the organization experiences prosperity. The world needs to experience prosperity. The world needs to see scientists working together on a united basis to try to really resolve this or give us good direction for going forward. How these will come out of it, guess what? People are looking for solutions. And if the World Health Organization mobilizes that solution, in the face of what President Trump may or may not be saying today, the World Health Organization will come out in an exceptional way. WHO and CDC, where Dr. Fauci comes from, obviously, have always worked closely together. That's how we dealt with Ebola very successfully in this country and in Africa, and that's probably how we'll deal with COVID-19. Collaboration, collaboration, is one of the fastest pathways to resolution of major challenges and getting us to solutions. So as a communications counselor and I think the great public relations professionals are not just crank it out whatever the system wants them to say, by the very nature of making sure a message connects to an audience, we we have to look at the, the world as outside in, not inside out. And I think that you know our I was privileged to meet you when you had your, uh, your office at Loeb's and Stevens as one of the really great pioneer practitioners of our discipline. And I think you would remember a name that most people don't, Edward Bernays. Uh, I sure of do. His yeah. theories, <laughs> of his theories where he talked about the system of communication. And in this case, I think that the uh, governments and public health systems need to sort of step away from the rhetoric encourage the collaboration and the information sharing. Yes, we've politicized science. Yes, we've essentially weaponized science, what some might say. But at the end of the day, I believe that humanity will stand on the side of humanity. And I think as public relations practitioners, that's generally why we chose this profession, to advance the well-being of people.
0: So what what do you think... Uh, and that that does lead to my next question what do you think the pandemic has done uh, to the present and future of public relations will it be altered in some uh, definable way uh will it evolve into something different from what it is today because of what we as a society uh, are going through how, how do you how do you uh, feel about well, that
1: i guess i guess you're saying Gil, will you, will will you give away all your your future trade secrets to the to the marketplace yes. <laughs> um and, and yes, I will, uh, because I I believe that we must advance together, and we know mu- competition is 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 healthy when it's actually in in good spirit. So, here's some things that I think are going to change. Um, what we're seeing in the COVID nineteen period is the overabundance of information leading to information anxiety. We know we have information anxiety because we have the rise of mental health issues. I think that the calls to mental health hot, hotlines. In the month of April alone, reported by CVS, rose 1,000%. So we know we're dealing with a period of great anxiety. And we know we're oversaturated with information. So I think some of the things we're going to see in the rise of platforms of, of like Medium, Thrive Global, other platforms, is actually organizations, companies, CEOs, opening up their own news channel because that's how the system is working. We're almost bypassing network news and New York Times and Wall Street Journal. And we're actually going to, again, people we trust. People we trust. So we're looking at CEOs who have secured our interest and are trustworthy. We also live in tribes now, information tribes. If you're interested in public relations, and I know Art is a pioneer of our discipline, is a champion of our discipline you're watching very closely you're in touch with our industry you're championing our industry you probably follow everything dealing with public relations it is your it is your passion and you're also interested in my discipline health public relations so you probably track what i do try to think of how many news channels you're tracking you're you're actually beginning to consolidate to what I'll call like the pie of interests of Art Stevens or whoever and that pie will lead you to follow certain people on Twitter or on LinkedIn or or um or Google Alerts. More and more of our news is moving that way. Now let's look at COVID nineteen, what's happening here? A lot of people have canceled their daily news subscriptions. They don't want to take another thing from their doorstep into the house. Or they can't get out to the newsstand to buy the newspaper. They don't want to. So where are they getting their news? Digital. So First of all, everything is going to move, everything is going to move very quickly off of historic platforms onto digital platforms. If you don't have a strong digital arm within your organization, either get one or think of joining one that does have a strong digital arm, because that's where commerce is going to go, that's where the shopping industry has gone, that's where the food industry has gone, that's where the health industry has gone, that's where the manufacturing industry has gone. So everybody who was working in sort of like show up or produce or, uh, you know, sort of like you were your own supermarket pack and pick person. The supermarket was a nice looking warehouse and you Art Stevens or listeners took your basket and you did the removal of the shelves for them. You were the stock persons. Um, that's changing. Same with communications. We're moving to digital platforms, we're moving to the age of the, of the digital health influencer. i Proud to share with you, first time I'm sharing this with anyone, Art, um, I crossed 5,000 Twitter followers this morning. So you know wow. we're, on the rise, we're on the rise of influence in our space, and I think watch for that. That's a key thing. Two, the authoritative voice of the enterprise. Larger corporations are going to have to look at public relations, certainly not as a defensive tool or a responsive tool, those that wish to lead their sectors are going to have to peel off some of their people and train them to be almost self-directed newsrooms along with their agencies, to own their own news channel about their enterprise, and to build up thought leadership, which means they need to have unique, shareable ideas. They need to have campaignable themes. They need to move forward in a way that people want to follow and listen to them. And if they don't do that, their communications is really going to get lost in the pages of old school communications.
0: Wow. I pause there because I'm taking it all in. You, you know, you are truly a fountain of knowledge, Gil. I, and I applaud you for, uh, your, uh You're so you are, uh, so kind of, you always have been. No, honestly, you, you are really, really, uh, uh, illuminating, I guess, uh, you know, what, we in public relations have been thinking about, in in terms of what you know, since the start of this uh, whole pandemic to where we are now as a profession. I'm well, Art,
1: Art, I've stole all my good ideas from you, so you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're just being kind. I appreciate it. Well,
0: I thank you for that, but I think you have a feel of your own, Gil, <laughs> along the way. Um, do you think public relations will come out as a stronger profession as a result of uh, the uh, pandemic?
1: Um, Well, that's a very um, perplexing problem (laughs) in itself because I think as a result of the pandemic, and I I certainly look at this in in my own vision of of the discipline, which not only am I a practitioner of, and I'm obviously not – I'm privileged to lead an organization, but I'm privileged to work with clients and work with my colleagues. I I have to say that um, I see – you can call it convergence or collapse – but I, I I don't see public relations or advertising or digital communications as existing in symbiotic uh, pillars or silos. I see them converging into each other, and you know certainly the sense of paid advertising has been important historically. You know the the age of uh, in, in healthcare we call it medicine avenue, as, as opposed to Madison Avenue, <laughs> but. But in the, in the area of Medicine Avenue or, or Madison Avenue, we're seeing um, fewer and fewer opportunities to use historically paid promotion, paid advertising, paid message. Because we're overwhelmed, we're awash with visuals and media. Overwhelmed. So that, that organization or that industry is morphing more toward us, which is you no know, content, we, on the other hand, have grown up, you know, as, as uh, those of us who grew up as writers, and you certainly were, I was, you know, still write quite a bit. We see the world as, as moving toward 280 characters on Twitter, of making decisions on that basis. I know that when people are sharing my, my material or things I've written or clients have written um, that are, are sort of attachments to Twitter, and I see like 90 shares I sometimes wonder the 90 shares if at least 10 people wrote what they were sharing, but just like my 280 character thing. So Twitter is becoming a form of, shall we say, billboard communication. And because we're seeing everything come to the middle, I actually think that the strongest organizations that are going to come out of COVID-19 from our industry don't see themselves as PR agencies or advertising agencies or digital agencies, I see them as um, as communications agencies. And uh, and then we use the term integrated marketing was very popular, still is very popular. I actually think everything is integrated right now. And, you know, I, Art, I don't know if you've bought anything online since this began. I, You know, every day I look out my doorstep for a box from Amazon that I expect to be delivered at any moment now. But the reality is Everything is converging, search engine optimization, artificial intelligence, content, communications, promotion. Everything is converging. I think the people who will come out of this the strongest are people who can actually play in and marshal all those disciplines comfortably.
0: Well, of course, I, I see that in what I do. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions in the public relations agency industry, Gil, because uh, there's a a crying need, you know, for uh, greater capability uh, in what we do as communicators. Uh, And certainly the digital analytic uh, arenas are highly sought after because of uh, the impact that they are having on the way we communicate. And I guess you're finding that uh, also, I presume, at the Partners.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, look, I, I would say at this particular period, from from a health practice standpoint, th- this has been a, um, a period of, of great activity. And we're very fortunate. We have a very strong um, a digital team, which integrates very well with our health team. And, and that's continuing to be stronger, and we're going to continue to invest in that as we go forward. And the the ability to bring that together when an industry historically has been you know, a field force-based industry, you know, it's called on doctors to explain the, the background of a product or how to use a product or if it's a device, you know, what does the product look like and how, do you, how, does the, how does the consumer or patient use that? That's been a historic model. That changed on December, on March 12th, excuse me, on March 12th, that changed immediately. And when we moved into, in essence, a national physical distancing model, digital came into the void almost overnight. And why? Well, Amazon Prime has been training us toward that moment. And now we just said, let's go Amazon Prime-like in everything. And so the platform existed. It's just that medicine has been slow moving for many reasons, three particular reasons. Behavior, set behavior over many, many years since World War II. Federal policies surrounding access and HIPAA, sharing of information, shifted rapidly, and suddenly there was an influx of capital going into alternative means to deal with people's health needs, the expense of people. Those three things converged almost overnight, and for those of us in the health space, if you understood that and were able to be supportive and you've been tracking with this and talking about this and you have the resources on staff, yes, you were able to help society move forward and ensure continuity of care. We're very fortunate that we were one of those organizations, but I would say to other organizations, this is a time certainly to reflect back and to decide where you're going, where you're going with your organization, either to build on those capabilities some way or to align with organizations that feel right for you and have those capabilities. And Art, on that matter, you're the expert. So I I always thank you for your advice and counsel. When it comes to helping the you know, principals make those decisions.
0: Thank you, Gil. And uh, uh, I and our listeners today thank you for your advice and counsel because uh, you have been cogent, articulate, and uh, inspirational as you always have been, which is the primary reason I wanted to have you back as our uh, guest again to talk about the world we're living in now. So Gil Bash, uh, head of global health care for fin Partners. I thank you so much for sharing your views with us today. Uh, you leave us with a great deal to think about and uh, uh, keep, keep up what you're doing because you are a, a wonderful influence on our practice of public relations.
1: Mark, Thank you. And everyone so much. And I, again, it's always a privilege to come back and, and speak with you and, and the community. Uh, I also want to encourage people to reach out to me at any time. Listeners I'm here to help. I think that hopefully one of the things that uh, I hope will remain after COVID 19 is resolved in some form is this sense of kinship, of collaboration, of support for each other. That must not change as obviously we resolve COVID 19. And you stay healthy, Art, and everyone.
0: And you too, and all the good people at Finn Partners. And say hello to Peter for me. Thank you so much, Gil. So, this is Art Stevens. Signing off, and uh, also thanking my wonderful sidekick, Faye Shapiro of ComPro, uh, who has been a great supporter of the uh, PR Masters uh, podcast series. Uh, This today has been number 26 in our series, so we've been talking to some wonderful people uh, about various subjects to do with the practice of public relations people who have spent their lives fostering their craft and their profession and whose wisdom we have so eagerly learned to lean on as we go forward. So, Faye and our listeners, I'd like to thank you again for this opportunity to join you. This is Arch Stevens signing off for PR Masters.